Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. We're back. And I think we've both decided one week away from Baldur's Gate 3. It'll probably come back, to be clear. But Yeah, we did talk about it a bit before recording, yep. which is... 88% my fault. That's true. We uh, are 46 minutes late to starting our recording because we've been talking about Baldur's Gate for, I guess, 46 minutes. <laughs> but I think there's nothing new to report in terms of what the Aether needs to know. Yeah, you know? I actually haven't played all week. I made it a point for myself. I was like, I'm, n- I'm just not going to play this game for a week. I, I want to play some other stuff. I did play a little bit, but like significantly. Le- it was like one sitting and I feel like pretty good about like, oh, OK, like I'm back to like my normal game schedule Mm -hmm. which is kind of a relief i was a little bit worried for a couple weeks that it was just gonna be Baldur's gate forever well just i mean i don't like staying up super late and the fact that i was like playing till four i'm like this is maybe the first time it's felt (laughs) like it's negatively affecting my like physical being yeah playing you turned it off played wildermyth for eight hours turned that off (laughs) signed up for neverwinter online (laughs) not again not again that was a brief flirtation don't don't (laughs) drag me for that um i did actually just see the DD movie though and i loved it i highly recommend hell yeah quick plug honor among thieves yeah it was great it was fun too there weirdly is a lot of Baldur's gate 3 overlap like they go to the underdark at one point and there are the brain creatures yes Uh, i was like damn this is so i mean i know it's the same lore but it was funny to see how much popped up yeah um from the game my thing about that movie is i think if it had come out in the 80s it would be one of the biggest deals ever and there would be like the most insufferable fandom online amongst like 40 (laughs) and 50 year olds or even like 2010 i feel like 2010 it would have been yeah maybe maybe that was the last time that that would have worked yeah yeah i i still think it's gonna be like a cult hit i could see that like i think it without explicitly saying like this is how people play D. I think everyone can kind of see their own group in that movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I felt like the paladin character felt like the DM made a character. Yes. And everyone's like, fuck this guy. Because, like, the, the, because the party couldn't handle it. Yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's stuff where it's like, if you know, you know, but you don't have to. Yeah. Anyway, great, great film. It's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. I had a great time with it. Would recommend. Uh, we've been playing other video games though. And I think the one that we wanted to talk about first is just kind of like almost an addendum like a sequel in a way to our dreamcast summer yeah i I think this is like a good capstone for dreamcast the solstice hasn't happened yet it's still dreamcast summer baby it's true we're talking about bomb rush cyberfunk which is a game that is inspired heavily by jet set radio and jet set radio future this is out on i think all platforms now that i think about it. i think it's every platform this is available for i'm playing it on switch where are you playing it i'm also playing it on switch nice it runs really well on switch i figure the oled screen would be good for a game like this. that was my thought too exactly yeah but it's out on everything it really is a lot like jet set radio i can't wait to talk about it i think before we do we should just kind of remind people where we were at on jet set radio in terms of the dreamcast episode and i'll, I'll just say for my piece I was really looking forward to it. I think aesthetically it is the most Dreamcast game possible outside of maybe Res. I think like Res, I think there's like maybe like a a Venn diagram, you know, with like Res on one side and and Jet Set Radio on the other side and like everything else just kind of falls in between there. Um, (laughs) But control wise, I had a really hard time with it. And you, I think, played a little bit of the Steam Deck version also. Yeah, I did. I can't remember if it was like I played that well before like our preparation started in earnest so i don't know if that like fully rectified things but even amongst other dreamcast games on the dreamcast it stands out 
how bad the controls are. Yeah. I talked about this on the episode. Like, I get what they were going for. I think they wanted it to be a learning curve. Like, it's not trying to be the power fantasy or at least the sort of like skateboard fantasy that Tony Hawk is. They want you to like have to struggle to like learn the best routes. And the whole loop of that game is you're in this level and you have to tag all the places you can spray graffiti before the cops show up and try to like, you know, throw tear gas at you basically. Mm -hmm. And like what I will say about the structure of Jet Set Radio is I think when it works, it's thrilling, like doing essentially a dance while you're spraying graffiti on the wall while you see the cops behind you trying to catch you. It really does feel like you're getting away with something cool, you yeah. know, like it yeah. captures the rebellious spirit of the game. Yeah. But it just was so like the cops show up way too early and they're way too aggressive and they really like First of all, they go hop, 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 hop over the music, which you're enjoying. <laughs> so like that's already ruined. And they're just it's just too difficult, too fast when chances are you've like tagged three things because you can't get the jump to work. Mm-hmm. So it just felt like everything in that game was working so well, but they didn't quite nail the central feeling of movement. Right. Something I think about a lot is there's a Game Maker's Toolkit interview with some of the people that made Celeste which I think is one of the best feeling platformers ever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think it was Maddie Thorson who said, before you even make the game, you want to make just the act of moving the character feel good. Like no goals, no obstacles, just get that sense of feeling down. It sounds obvious, but like you think about any Mario game, like Mario 64, before you're even in a level, they know you're going to have fun just like diving and doing flips in the courtyard of the castle. Totally. And I just feel like that was never done for Jet Set Radio. Like they just didn't nail like, how does it feel just to move around and jump? The answer is bad. And it's it's heartbreaking because like that's a game that I, I want to love and instead I feel like okay about. I think it's definitely also a byproduct our feelings about it are definitely a byproduct of playing it in 2023 as well like i imagine in 1999 or 2000 or whenever it came out like it probably felt all right but also there are what three tony hawk games on the dreamcast as well and i i know as you were saying like there's definitely a difference in terms of what they what they want you to get out of that right like the tony hawk games as you said are a power fantasy in some ways but at the same time the goal of the player is the same in both games right the goal is to find the best line and the best routes and get the highest score and do all of this stuff so i think that having those two games on the dreamcast and playing the back to back which i did in my case was probably not the right move but you know almost made that difference a little bit more stark that's the thing it's like we played on original hardware and i i think it still felt off you know like it still yeah. felt noticeably different so so that's kind of the biggest bummer about that game because I think like otherwise everything about it is like so up my alley. Like I love the art style. I love the music. Like I'm honestly inspired by that game, even in its flawed form. Like I think it's I still think it's worth experiencing. Yeah, you, you can't play the Dreamcast and not play that game. Even if you hate it, you'll be happy you checked it out because it's just so transportive to that time. You know, that yeah, like absolutely. early MTV era of of like sort of marketed rebellion but it's still cool you know um (laughs) yeah it also feels like i don't know exactly if if they were seeing each other as they came to be but it feels so gorillas to me which i love gorillas Mm. and i feel like it's of that same kind of era in the early 2000s like the art style y2k core yeah yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> gore core. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, so this game I was excited for because I think really the promise of it is just, hey, here's more Jet Set Radio, but in 2023 yes um and it's worth noting too there is a sequel to jet set radio jet set radio future that was on the first xbox and i haven't played it in a while but i remember loving that game i played it a lot with my cousins Mm. uh like in the latter part of middle school early high school i would guess that that game feels better than jet set radio does i really gotta play it it's another game that's hard to get for some reason um like you can't get it on the xbox store unfortunately but I guess what you could do is if you have a Series X, you could probably get a physical copy. Is it backwards compatible with original Xbox? I don't know. I'd love to find out, though. Anyway, it's it's another hard to get game, unfortunately. <laughs> but all that to say, still, even with Jet Set Radio Future existing, this kind of feels like the Stardew Valley to the like non-existent Jet Set Radio follow up. So it feels like, hey, this is something that everyone kind of wants. And now it's here in a different label. Yeah. And I'm really enjoying it so far. I, I guess I'll, I'll share my piece first because sure. I'm pretty early on. I've only played the first two hours i'll say that like if what you wanted is more jet set radio you got it like it it looks exactly the same and that's a compliment like it looks great Uh, but it even looks like you're playing a port of a dreamcast game like the way things are pixelated and shaped Mm -hmm. which i love i think that's great yeah music i think i'm pretty sure it's the same composer or at least partially so um i'll I'll double check all this later music's amazing music's incredible And even just the way characters talk to you, like I remember distinctly when I first played Jet Set Radio, there's that song that plays and Gum goes, hey, you. And just like kind of dances in place. Yeah. And she's like, you seem pretty cool. Like, can you do these tricks? Okay. Sorry to drop an F-bomb, but fuck the tutorial on Jet Set Radio. There's that one where the guy's like, follow me up a hill against traffic to grab on. We have to a grab car. onto the car. Yeah. It, that took me like two and a half hours yeah. to do like perfectly horrible. It's the same thing in this game. Characters will be like, Hey, what's up? And they'll just sort of dance in place and then ask you to do something like they do. Yeah. So I love all that. I can't help, but feel like it's a little too one-to-one. There's part of me. That's like, it's been 20 years and I feel like this is the same exact game. Mm. And it's hard to complain about that because this is something that I love and want to see again. But I just wonder, I guess I wanted to maybe see like what would what's the new direction or like, why is this coming back other than nostalgia? Mm. You know, and I will say it controls better, but not by much like it's i have a lot of the same issues with this game that i did with the original one like it's definitely not as rough to be clear but i still find that the bulk of my playthrough is like struggling to jump onto something interesting and i think i'm still early on so that might change and i think i'm not confident if i have seen the full loop of the game yet i've gotten to the point where i'm like at the base and I'm in like the first level and there's the rival gang, like the Frankenstein mm-hmm. people. Um, and I'm tagging the their Franks. territory, the Franks. And even though I just complained about the cops in the first game, the fact that there's like no threat here makes it feel like really loose and empty to me. Like I actually do kind of miss that thrill of like, oh shit, someone's like going to catch me for this. Mm. The fact that I can kind of just do it at my own pace should be thrilling. But again, because nothing really feels that good to pull off, like the tricks, in my opinion, feel a little superfluous. And like whether or not I make a jump feels kind of out of my control. I don't have that like zen joy I get 
from Tony Hawk Pro Skater with Free Skate that I think the game wants me to feel. And maybe that will come with time, but I just, I find that even though like they've definitely improved the control with like how to spray graffiti and like, you know, it, it is, it does feel tighter, but like not by a significant margin like this does feel like it could have been on the dreamcast that's interesting total night and day for me between okay. the original jetset radio and this i this was like picking it up and starting to play it just felt like exactly what i wanted and hoped for from jetset radio to me control wise it feels really good i think i think you're right to bring up tony hawk again like I, I don't think it quite hits that and i think you're right that some of the tricks when you pull them off do feel a little bit empty like if i'm doing this like a really long combo for example like you know grinding down a thing jumping off doing a wall ride manualing to another rail doing something like that like those moments should feel really thrilling and sometimes they just sometimes they just don't which is interesting yeah but for the most part i will say i i am feeling a lot more like i have more control over the character and I feel sure, and I yeah. feel like I have a better handle on how my character will move and react in the world. And just all in all, to me, the controls feel really tight. And it's kind of like the dream scenario for me. I, I love it. I will say you're like right before when the cops are introduced into the game again. Oh, OK, you're like you're you're like maybe 30 minutes before that happens. And then you get to a point where like once you and another gang are really starting to like hit it off in a way, that's when the cops are like, oh, we have to intervene. The thing that's interesting about this game for me, the th- there are like boss fights. Uh, and there's like a, a lot of emphasis on combat and those I think are a little bit weaker than the rest of the game for me. Like that's, that's the thing that for me, I'm like, yeah, there's a boss fight in the tutorial that feels very Sonic adventure. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. Like it's clearly not what the game is trying to do, but it's also like, if this wasn't what you're trying to do, why is it here? Especially showing up a bunch. Like it happens a bunch. Yeah. I think like the original, again, even though I think the cops were a little bit like too aggressive in that game or at least they show up too early into a level. Uh, I like that the way of dealing with them was the core gameplay. The way of dealing with them was like getting to higher parts of the level and getting knowledge of escape routes yeah. or spraying them with graffiti. Yeah. And the fact that this game kind of has like attacked on like three attack buttons just feels like yeah, little- this one. You just like beat the shit out of them. Yeah. You can spray them though. You can still spray them and, cool. and, you know, cover their eyes with spray paint and stuff. I am having fun and it is like magical to be back in this place. Like I'm glad this game exists, but I can't help but feel like I, I wanted this to feel more like a triumphant return. Mm. It's a little bit too one to one for me. Like I kind of wanted them to take a little bit more risks, but interesting. That's just, I think like the danger of expectation, you know, I think like uh, I went into this maybe expecting something different, but I think for a lot of people who just like really missed this aesthetic and this style and this spirit, like the spirit and the, and the atmosphere are really huge in the Jet Set Radio series, I guess, yeah. including this one. For me, I was hooked like as soon as I turned the game on and the menu just had the most incredible oh, yeah. Y2K energy. Yeah. I was like all about... It has like almost like a DVD menu theme. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, I don't know. It's really working for me. I'm I'm past the Frank stuff. There's like a boss fight at, at the end of that. And then after that, you do like just like a score chase battle, which feels very like early Tony Hawk, where... It's your crew, the bomb rush crew, and then also the Franks. And you both are like going out and skating and you accumulate all the scores together, everybody on both crews. And then whoever has the higher score wins, which was difficult. I, I, I had to do it a couple times before I could like nail it. And I think that that in particular was what really locked me into the control scheme and had me realizing that I was like feeling good and, and was aware of what I was doing. You know, it wasn't just like because I feel like in Tony Hawk, 
to keep using that comparison, there is a lot of, I think early on in the Tony Hawk games, before you get further into the campaigns, there's a lot of like just button mashing. You know, there's a lot of like, I'm grinding a rail and I'm going to press all these buttons in all these different directions. And I'm going to do a bunch of like weird ways of grinding. I'm going to like do a Christ air over this gap by accident, you know? And then eventually towards the end of the game, you're like, I'm doing a Christ air on purpose, you know? Yeah, um, right. And I feel like in this game, ending that first big section with this like score chase battle really did make me need to lock in to the control scheme and like understand how to you know chain a bunch of combos together and like spray paint something while i'm in the middle of doing a combo to like increase the score exponentially and things like that which i love i also love the spray paint animation in this game it's, yeah, it's so awesome. fun it feels very like anime it feels very like you pulled out yeah. a katana and like sliced somebody into 400 pieces. <laughs> um, it rocks. Yeah, it's it's great. It's so good. Car- I, I just think like story wise, it's really funny. Um, I don't want to. Oh, yeah. I, I love I, we can probably say the inciting event. It's pretty early on. Yeah. Unless you don't want to spoil. it. I don't want to spoil the way that section ends because I think it's I, th- I thought that was extremely bold. And if you played it, you know what I'm talking about. But it opens with you breaking out of prison um, and getting chased down by this like DJ who throws uh, records as like shurikens that is fun and interesting and weird and i think it might go on a little bit too long but like i just thought that was a really interesting way of starting the game and then immediately after that you are just like kind of out in jet set radio again you know it's like yeah. it opens with a prison break sequence and that's how they teach you like okay here's how to boost here's how to like jump up in the air and then use like a rocket ba- backpack to like shoot yourself forward a little bit the boost really helps it's I think amazing. That's, that's a great addition to the mechanics of this game yeah. I, I also i really like the friends in your crew too they're yeah. great yeah i'm excited to like get more of them i think that's yeah i want to like build you- the crew up a lot like Advent Children, everyone in this game has a flip phone and mm-hmm. you like get texts from them and stuff throughout the game, which is fun. Although sometimes they'll text you while you're in the middle of like doing an extremely intense mission, which is funny. Like <laughs> every once in a while, like early on in the game, I kept doing these things where it's like, OK, you spray paint enough stuff and then the Franks start to notice you and then they start challenging you to like combo challenges um, like one-on-one combo challenges. And every time I would start one, I would get a text from somebody I'm like, not now, not now, not now. I'm like in the air. <laughs> yeah. I'm spinning in the air, but I don't know. I just, everything vibe wise in this game works. It kind of like Jet Set Radio, just like everything vibe wise works. Oh yeah. It's like a couple things mechanically here and there that aren't quite locking into place for me yet. Whereas with Jet Set Radio, like I just, I just, I had, I couldn't play it, unfortunately. And I, I know we're dunking on that game a lot. But you and I both respect it greatly. But this game for me is everything that I wanted that to be so far. Yeah. And I I think you probably won't be alone. And I'm being a little harsh on it just because I think I expected a little more. But I am having fun still. And I think I think it sounds like once I get to the point where you're at, I'll probably be like a little bit more locked in. Yeah. You'll have to get past one more boss fight that I think you're also probably not going to (laughs) like. Just to be clear, uh, it's really no boss fights. Here's what I'll say. You're going to have to spray paint more than you think in that boss fight. That'll be my one tip for you, because it took me like 30 minutes of just like going and like punching a lot of cops before I realized I needed to be spray painting stuff. Uh, So just a heads up there. I will say an interesting asterisk on this is that Sega has announced that they're making a new Jet Set Radio game. Really? Yeah. Like, I don't know, like a couple months ago, they were like, we're coming back. We're making more Jet Set Radio games. I think they're called Super Games. That's like what they say they're working on. They're like working on a couple Super Games. And one of them is is a new Jet Set Radio. And I'm curious if that's going to feel closer to what you're expecting. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's been interesting to see what Sega has kind of kept alive in terms of their IP. Like we talk about that with, you know, us forever wishing for Skies of Arcadia port. Yeah. 
like in a lot of their games, there'll be like DLC of like costumes of characters from other series and the Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania release. Right. You could play as Beat from Jet Set Radio and Kiryu. And it's like, yeah, they clearly want to keep these series alive. They haven't like ported or thought about in 20 years so it's like what is are you just sort of like hoarding this until one day you make it so i i am curious about what a new jet set radio looks like alongside this yeah i I hope they're distinct enough that they can both exist i'm so curious just about this ongoing trend of like well if you're not going to make it then i'm going to make it sure you know i mean it's been happening for a long time to be clear this is not a new trend uh you know there's like uh mighty number nine and uh bloodstained and things like that but I i just think it's interesting that for companies like Sega or like Nintendo, for example, uh, or Capcom or whoever, their bread and butter is intellectual property, right? Like the, the thing that they are good at is continuing to continue making games that people want in franchises that people like grew up with and continue playing. And it's so interesting when they like drop the ball on that. And then another team is like, well, we're going to pick up that ball because there's still a really vocal group of people who want to be playing those games. And like Bomber Cyberpunk was all over my timeline the past couple of days like yeah people are loving it so many people are playing it so many people are talking about it uploading clips of like the runs that they're doing like there's so much conversation about bomber cyberpunk and it's so interesting that that is coming out and also sega is like hey we're gonna come back and make a jet set radio but it's like you're, you're kind of too late already like somebody <laughs> somebody quenched that thirst you know and and maybe yeah. when when the new jet set radio comes out it'll be like great and everyone will be stoked about it and like cool keep that baton going but i'm just so curious about these companies that have intellectual property that people are still so attached to emotionally and like want to see more of and then aren't serving those audiences like yeah it's so wild to like not be making another castlevania game you yeah. know i mean konami that that they were who i was thinking of when yeah. you were saying that like i mean i think they're slowly veering back now with the silent hill 2 remake but mm-hmm. we'll see what happens with that yeah yeah the fact that what the last castlevania game was on the ds right i think or the or yeah ds or the 360 right wasn't there a 361 but they were not metroidvanias they were like kind of god of war inspired yes, right yeah i i one day i'll play them just to know but i also kind of <laughs> feel sick thinking about it anyway that's bottom rush cyberpunk unless you had more to say no. i will probably bring it up again if i get farther in i hope i didn't come off too negative i just I, I did have those thoughts while playing and I, I do think it's an interesting it's not quite a debate but it's like it almost feels like a monkey paw wish where something comes back and it's like, oh, this is this is just it. You know, this is mm. just it again. Uh, and not to debase the game for that. But I, I, I just wonder sometimes, like, even less so about this game, I started to ask myself, like, what do I want by something coming back? Like, what does that actually do for me? Yeah. Or for the people making it or for anyone else? Um, and in this case, I think it's honestly a huge success because people are, it's resonating with people again. Jesset Radio has been kept alive by its soul and by the art and by the music. Right. And just getting to, like, basically get, like, a new album of that, for lack of a better phrase, is amazing. Yeah. I'm glad people are getting, especially if you, like, are young enough that you don't even know what the Dreamcast is, this might be you might be seeing this before you've even known what Jet Set Radio was or is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's like good that it's back, but it, it made me start to think about like when we say like I want a port of this or I want this back. I'm like, well, why? What do I want from this? Yeah, I think you and I are coming at this game from the two 
places that you can come at this game from. You know, I, th- I, think, I think in your case, <laughs> yeah. you're coming at it from like, a, OK, you're bringing this back. But why? And like, you know, what, what does it mean to make a Jet Set Radio in 2023? And for me, feeling like I didn't connect with the first one the way I wanted to. I just wanted one that felt modern. And like, that's what this is to me. Totally. Uh, yeah. But I think there's like there's a world in which, you know, Sega goes in, takes the version that's available on Steam and adds like a modern control scheme to it in an update, you know, and then it feels like Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. And then I can play that. Uh, <laughs> I, I like that. That's that's also a, an avenue. But I'm stoked about this team making this game and uh, it feels really good and I like it. I'm going to play more of it. <laughs> I also think that if this series is to continue, it doesn't even really have to be what it is. Like I, I would say without like dunking on the mechanics too much, most people are playing it for the aesthetic and for the music. I agree. Yeah. You, you can kind of like, like I, I imagine you probably wouldn't want to do away with the graffiti because that's such a huge part of the game's identity. Right. But I wonder if there's a way to like experiment with that. Like what, you know, what does a graffiti game look like that's not specifically like a Tony Hawk style version of it? Mm. Um, I don't know, but it, it, I think I think if if the appeal of the series is aesthetic, you can kind of mess around with that. Then maybe the two series can have a reason to exist alongside each other. Yeah. Other than trying to compete. I do like in this game uh, over time, as you start doing challenges, you unlock more graffiti that you can do. Yeah. Depending yeah. on. So whenever we, we didn't mention this, but whenever you actually do graffiti, there's like kind of this big almost like alchemist circle that shows up yeah. and uh, you have to you have to like smash the the left stick in a bunch of different directions, um, which does the like kind of katana slicing thing that I was talking about. And depending on how you decide to move the left stick is what graffiti you end up doing. And as you unlock more, you can like change which graffiti shows up and you can like actually kind of lock in and know what you're doing because in the beginning i was like just following the commands and trying to do my best but the interesting thing about it is that it always shows two options for you like oh i didn't realize that. that's so cool like when you when you start a new graffiti line you can you can pick one of two starting points and based on which one you start with is what graffiti you end up doing which is very cool uh and and you unlock a bunch and you can like kind of assign all of it. It's great. Anyway, that's a little bit in the weeds. Let's move on to other stuff. Uh, I will say that another game I bring up later does remind me a lot of this or will remind, I think, you a lot of this conversation, which I'm excited to talk about. I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, let's take a break and we'll move on to more games. That sounds great. Bye bye. Bye bye. Welcome back. Hello. To the podcast. I can't wait to talk about this game. This, this is one of the ones I was going to talk about last week. I decided to push off because I wanted to play a little bit more of it. Uh, yeah. This is a game called Lil Gator Game. Let me start, say that again because that didn't come out right because I've been studying French uh, a lot on <laughs> Duolingo, my game of the year. And I feel like sometimes I say things and now they come out with a French accent by accident. I <laughs> love blaming the French for mispronouncing things. <laughs> Sorry, I've been studying a lot of French these days. <laughs> there was a French family in front of me. So before, here's a little peek behind the curtain. Every time uh, Stephen and I record an episode of this show, my morning routine on Sundays is to get a coffee. It's like one of the only coffees I will drink in a week. Sometimes it's the only one. I'll get a coffee. And a bagel, bacon, egg and cheese or an egg and uh, cheese, but usually bacon, egg and cheese. And I take some yeah. of the bacon off. I give it to Persia because she likes the bacon and I like less bacon. But anyway, I was ordering one this morning, uh, but in front of me was a French family of tourists who were like flabbergasted at the amount of bacon on their bagel. They were like <laughs> so much bacon, which I totally understand. I was like, me too. I <laughs> I don't know how to say the word same in French, but I should have said that to them. <laughs> Duolingo hasn't taught me that yet. Uh Anyway. anyway, I'm playing Little Gator Game. It's the name of the game. Uh, I'm playing it on the Nintendo Switch. I learned about this game via a review from Ana Diaz on Polygon, uh, which is titled Little Gator Game is the Zelda-like I didn't know I needed. And I feel like... 
the reason I wanted to check this game out in the first place was a that glowing review. It's really well written. I'll put a link in the show notes. You should go check it out. Just really got me like hyped on playing it. But I feel like it is an answer to a question that you and I have a lot on this show. It's it's like kind of the the solution to the problem that you and I have, which is a lot of games taking inspiration from Breath of the Wild and not really doing it in a way that aids the game or the story in any way the the setup for this game in particular is you are playing as this like little kid who is an alligator uh who is hanging out on an island with his older sister uh the two of you used to like hang out on this island a lot when you were both even younger than you are at at the point that you start the game and you used to like go on fake fantasy adventures together as all kids did when they were younger and they would go play outside with their friends and their siblings and stuff but at this point in the game your older sister is old enough that she's like i think in high school or college and is like really fixated on doing a group project and she just like kind of brought you to the island to like hang out and play with your friends out in the wilderness but she is like kind of trapped on her laptop doing this group project and you play as this little gator who is trying their best to like just kind of include their sister in everything that's going on it's like hey come play with me come play with me like we should do this we should do this we should do this but the sister like just can't so the big plan the big like almost uh ed ed and eddie-esque or like rugrats-esque plan (laughs) is that you as as this little gator and all of their friends decide to set up the entire island to look like a legend of zelda game Mm. specifically like it is it is specifically like calling out zelda and you you kind of like build all of these cardboard cutouts of like enemies in the woods. Uh, there's like a place where you get, you know, the the mystical magical sword and a shield and you get like the glider from Breath of the Wild and everything. And you're just trying to create an adventure exciting enough for your sister to like want to come along and play. And she can't, unfortunately, which kind of creates this like really sad dynamic. But it really is just about how much the the player character like loves their older sister um, and, and is like going to the ends of the earth to try and kind of engage her in this thing that they used to bond over when they were smaller. But in effect, the actual game itself is going on all of these quests and like trying to create the best Legend of Zelda game possible in real life, quote unquote, just aesthetically. It reminds me a lot of a short hike in mm. the best way possible. I don't think it has that like crunchy DS aesthetic that a short hike had. But it does have the like kind of vibrant fall energy. Everyone's an animal, obviously. Um, It just is really pretty, very charming. I think very like quaint. Uh, I would I would go as far as calling this like a quote unquote wholesome game in a lot of ways. But I just think they like nail the implementation of Zelda stuff into this world just by making it like diegetic like there's a there's a reason to be yeah doing all of the things that zelda does because you are specifically trying to build the perfect zelda adventure for your sister so how does that work exactly like you're building this for her but she doesn't engage that so do you end up playing through it Is yeah that- you end up you end up playing through it and and the way that you're trying to entice your sister into joining you specifically is by going and doing all of these quests and every time you finish a quest uh your character will take a selfie and then send it to the sister and be like hey look at this cool thing i just did and like you can tell that she's like a little bit annoyed that you texted her but she keeps trying to respond back and be like nice about it she's like great this looks so exciting i love your sword okay bye (laughs) i gotta get back to work at the point i I, i'm a little bit past this point where uh you're like building 
I would say almost like a Hyrule Town Market where like you need to go out and find a bunch of other people out on this island. Just like in Breath of the Wild, honestly, you start off on like kind of a smaller island. that's like a tutorial zone. And then after that, you have to swim across to a larger island. And in this larger island, there's like all of your friends have kind of like spread out and they're all doing their own thing, too, because they all have their own groups of friends as well. So like you need to go find one who's like studying for like an astronomy exam up on top of a mountain near an observatory. And you need to convince them to come down and like help build this town into like kind of a high rule center. And you need to go out and just like recruit all these different people. And that just leads you to finding all these different quests along the way. And it reminds me a little bit of uh, Paper Mario and the Origami King, weirdly, oh, yeah. where in that game you would run around and like as you would kind of beat stuff up, you would get a bunch of confetti that you could put in a bag and then you could use the confetti to like rebuild stuff. Same exact thing is happening here where as you go around and destroy the quote unquote enemies who are just like cardboard cutouts of enemies in the world, you just like take that cardboard and break it down and then use it to build new stuff elsewhere, which almost creates a Tears of the Kingdom aspect as well. Not that you have like really control over the things that you're building, but I do think it it creates this really satisfying loop where you not only have this like really open ended go wherever on this island and do whatever you want and like kind of assemble this team in whatever way you want to, but also you're like building stuff along the way. I, I, I just think it like kind of nails taking everything that Breath of the Wild was good at and building it into a much smaller scoped game in a way that imbues, I think, a lot of different kinds of emotions into that world. It's a place I love being. I mean, you set any game in fall and I'm going to be fucked up about it. <laughs> but I, I just I just think they like there's I honestly I have like no critiques about this game. I just think it's like it sounds awesome. I just think it's great. It sounds a little bit like Dragon Quest Builders, too, if I'm understanding correctly. A little bit. Yeah, you're not like you're not like actually building stuff like you're breaking down all this stuff. So you have enough material, quote unquote, to build stuff. But even that is just like, do you have enough cardboard to, you know, put up a place where you could buy bombs? <laughs> <laughs> Thematically, it sounds like it's also kind of exploring what Ocarina did, but like kind of almost inside out where it's like yeah. kind of about growing up and sort of the magic of the world when you're a kid and then the sort of reality of the world when you're an adult. Mm -hmm. I mean, less explicit with like Hyrule Market being filled with redeads, but <laughs> that sounds wonderful. What are you playing it on? I'm playing it on Switch. On Switch. Okay, Again, cool. great on the OLED screen because it's so vibrant. It's such a yeah. vibrant game. Yeah, um, you've sold me. I'll definitely check this out before the year is over. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't finished it, but I really want to. I, I am enjoying the dynamic between the little gator and the older sister a lot. And, and I just think there's like a lot of really rich kind of narrative and thematic stuff to explore within that and they're already doing a great job in just like making it so she's a little bit more annoyed every time i text her <laughs> at, at this point she's like left the island also so it's like oh, wow. a little bit like what is the point of continuing to do this which i think is interesting yeah it's it's i think it's really sweet it's very sad in in a lot of ways but it's also very sweet but you could tell that she still cares a lot about her younger sibling you know yeah yeah i wonder where it will net out like i think there's a lot of different like ways that story could end and lessons to learn from it i, I think it could end very happily or it could end with kind of like a hard lesson like i yeah i'm, I'm just very yeah. interested in, in how the, it wraps up but that's really all i have to say about little gator game i just think it rocks i just think it's so good i think it came out a couple of years ago it totally flew under the radar for me but i really like it sold add it to the backlog baby yeah it's good it's pretty good you want to move on to more games? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's take another quick break and then uh, talk about more stuff. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Hey, Brendan. Hello. I like 
cosmically how we're following up two weeks of talking about Baldur's Gate 3 with games that you and I have never heard of up until now. <laughs> I think it's a nice balancing of the fates. Yeah. I have a game here that I have been playing that I'm really excited to talk about that I, I have really seen very little. Like I, I have seen some glowing reviews uh, from the last couple years about this game, but I had never heard of it up until now. I found this via Game Pass. One of my favorite things to do with Game Pass is to treat it like a video rental store from the early 2000s where <laughs> when I was a kid uh, my my best friend and I would go there was one like right by my house also by a sushi place so perfect we would get sushi and we would go rent three movies every weekend we would get one movie that we like heard was good and like we're, okay like we should probably watch like Magnolia you know this is getting like good reviews <laughs> snobby 13 year old oh you're 13 yeah, I was really snobby. I, I got my sixth grade time capsule in high school, and my favorite movie was Rope by Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> I'm like, come on. Rope is your favorite movie, 11-year-old Steven? Wow. Anyway, we would, went, we would rent a movie that like we like heard was good or was popular. Like, I think, you know, 40-year-old version. At that time, whenever there was like a big movie, it's kind of funny because I feel like it's been long enough now that we all have a romantic idea of video rental stores. But like the one we went to at least was like 50% three movies. It would be like walls and walls of the biggest, most popular movies. And then this like dusty weird box in the corner right that that was like 80s horror slash other you know and you're like <laughs> all right so we, we would rent one movie we, we like wanted to watch and heard was good one movie that like looked so bad it, it would be funny mm -hmm. usually from that 80s horror bin and then we would rent a movie that we just had no idea what it was at all that's great doesn't look bad doesn't look good we're just like i just I feel nothing about this. I need to know. Yeah. Uh, I think that's how I watched the game with Michael Douglas. Um, <laughs> but that, that's a good example of like, what, I don't know what this is. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of how I treat Game Pass. I'll look and be like, okay, like, these are games that I've heard about. Or, like these are games. I don't do this so bad. It's good with games, but I do the, uh, I have no idea what this is, but it looks interesting. Mm -hmm. And that's how I found Opus Echo of Star Song full bloom edition full bloom edition okay which is sneaking up on dragon quest 11 s in terms of the longest title <laughs> we've said on this show this game uh so it, i think it's the th technically the third in a series but it seems to be its own story and the other two games i think were on mobile but i would imagine they're all in like the same universe because mm. it, it's a very like it's like a sci-fi world it reminds me a lot uh, like there's definitely an obvious Star Wars influence with a lot of the like ship design and a lot of the outfits have what I call Star Wars orange where it's like yeah. that very saturated almost red orange. Love it. And there are those classic kind of like uh, bazaars in the desert with like strange creatures and stuff. Yeah. But it also reminds me a lot of Saga where there's sort of like it's not quite as surreal and out there as Saga, but there is this intersection of like technology and magic that I really like. So the the main like the main thing in this world that everyone is like pining over is this thing called Lumen. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. That is essentially like the live stream in FF7. It's this sort of like magical liquid thing that is often found in caves 
that retains memory and it's also used to power machines and like basically as like oil yeah so the game is constantly showing you these like beautiful magical things that have all been like rinsed dry through capitalism in a way that's like really sad but also mysterious because you're seeing like the end result of it and so there are two main factions one of which uh they're this group of women that all have this innate power to sense where lumen is Mm. and there's like this sort of cosmic supernatural connection to it and they were used during one of the many historical wars as like human radar so like because this was used to power ships they were used to just find where people were wow and so they're like hated by everyone through propaganda and also their role in the war but they have this like very important connection to this life material yeah and then there are another group of people that basically have these like staves that will record memories or songs from the lumen and use them to like open and operate machinery so they're kind of inherently intertwined with like they're the people that can actually like sing and provide the memories and then the ones that record them and that's like a really beautiful and tragic way to the paint opposing sides in a war you know like the recorder and the artist that alone is so cool like the game is is full of just like very interesting really well written like drops of lore and artifacts and stuff but it's all framed through a love story that's told in past tense so like this game opens with the main character olds kind of like walking into this big ruin and seemingly wanting to find someone then the whole game like at least where I am now, like everyone's like young and they're like twenties or so. And whenever I find an item or like a thing of lore, it will be narrated in past tense. So to kind of explain what the game is, it kind of opens as a visual novel type adventure game. A lot of its dialogue, a lot of its story. Um, The aesthetic of this game is beautiful. It's a lot of all the art is without like ink or like line art. So it's all just sort of blocks of color. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. It has a little bit of a Kentucky Red Zero energy in that way. Yeah, a little bit. The main characters kind of have more distinct features, but a lot of the like NPCs and stuff sort of have that like geometric, you know, like their their eyes will just be suggested with shadow kind of thing. Yeah. But basically the way the game opens, if it operates mostly like a visual novel with like very light exploration and puzzle elements. So I was already kind of in at that point. I'm like, I'm, I'm like interested in this game's lore and I love the aesthetic and I and I'm curious where it's going to go. And then it quickly becomes FTL and I can't stop playing. So basically it veers between kind of exploring these places, having these story beats and light puzzles. And eventually you get a ship and it's like the two main, you know, romantic leads and like the supporting cast in this ship. And you choose like where on the map to go and you have to like be mindful of your fuel and the ship's armor and all that. And then as you go from place to place, there will be like kind of like a random event and you'll choose how you want to handle it. And it will say kind of like Borders Gate 3 or any like tabletop game. It will say like, here's the number you have to beat and like, here's like the range of your dice roll. Nice. So a lot of it is like resource management and exploration and like kind of tabletop mechanics which took me by surprise i I didn't expect it to go there but it works really well and what really adds to it is the fact that like a lot of the game seems to have 
a lot of choice and a lot of branching paths and a lot of dice rolls. But no matter what happens, it's narrated in past tense. So everything feels like it was part of the story all along. Yeah. Cool. It's great. I mean, I'm early enough that the love story hasn't even kicked in yet, but I kind of appreciate that pacing. The fact that the game is actually more interested in setting up all these characters as people Mm. and like you get a really strong sense of like where they're coming from and like what their history is before they start, you know, forcing them together. Yeah. Do you feel like you're missing out on anything by not having played the first two or does it feel complete? I think the story is unrelated. I think they're all set in the same world. But this is a standalone story. That's cool. From what I know. Uh, so no, I don't, I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. Nice. I mean, I will say it is a lot of lore right away. So like it did take me a while to remember like who's who, but it's all pretty simple. You know, once you kind of know, like, people's relationship to each other it all kind of adds up yeah but i'm i'm really impressed by this game i I think the blend of visual novel with ftl is something that i didn't know i wanted until now Um, i'm curious if that's present in the first two also like that exact kind of yeah i have no idea i have no idea but this the the reason this is like the definitive edition is they added voice acting oh cool Um, but i i'm playing with a japanese voice cast and it's it's wonderful that's awesome um yeah and you can also like as you they do this thing where like when you go to a new point, you have exploration kits so you can you have a finite amount of times you can explore a place and like get resources from it and then also upgrade your ship. And kind of like Mass Effect, everyone, all the characters have like their own email inboxes. So as you play the game, like you'll see like the messages each character is getting. Nice. I think you will love it. I know you love games or stories in general that merge magic with technology. Yeah, very much. I think also it has that. It, not necessarily in tone, but it does have rings of your name to me mm. where it has this sort of like there's this kind of bittersweetness to the romance where like these people are kind of forced to be apart in a lot of ways. But there's this like actually cosmic connection. Mm. But I, I'm really enjoying it so far. I think it deserves more discussion around it. I think it's really cool. Yeah, I will say just uh, doing some cursory research. The first one is called Opus, The Day We Found Earth. And the second one is called Opus rocket of whispers all three of these are available on ipad and android which is nice oh amazing uh, which uh i will probably check out at some point actually it looks like the third one isn't available on android which is a bummer because i have an android phone now but if it's available on game pass then that's fine by me yeah it looks like it's the third one is on pretty much uh every like pc xbox switch and uh, it's not on playstation yeah the first one was also a launch window game on switch which is interesting like really that, that switch port was like pretty early on the switch which is interesting because i feel like when the switch first came out there was like a real dearth of stuff to play it was like yeah it was like golf story one two switch and breath, breath of, the of the wild <laughs> yeah that was like yeah. kind of all you had for a while uh yeah. and i guess mario kart but uh yeah i don't know i i think i'm kind of interested in starting from the beginning and seeing if that's mm. worth doing um so i I downloaded the first one at least on on my iPad, so I'll try that and maybe report back. Yeah, report back. But it seems that the third one is like the one from what I've read. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do wonder if there's payoff for seeing all of them. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe I'll have the first one if it's not really clicking. I'll check out the the most recent. Uh, but this sounds really cool, and I I love the art. I think it looks so pretty. Uh, it's amazing. How's the yeah. how's the score? Is it like? very ambient is it like kind of like space it ambient? does remind me of ftl like nice. especially when you're in space like it does that thing where like it kind of has that almost mass effect galaxy map yeah vibe and then when you're like in trouble it'll kind of ramp up a little bit nice um but it's good i mean it's definitely more like whimsical when you're out and about it's it's definitely kind of minimalist in a lot of ways mm. the whole game kind of feels like very even though there are a lot of systems it feels like everything is done with like 
uh, a minimalist touch. Yeah. Um, like even the writing, even though there's a lot of like lore, you'll get like a few lines about one thing. Yeah. And that does a lot too, where like you're in this place. It's like just an abandoned mine full of tubes <laughs> and everything you find is like, this is basically like where space Jesus like was born, oh, you know? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like tubes everywhere. <laughs> but, uh, or it's, it's a little bit more like, um, there, there's sort of like a, a pantheon of gods, it seems. Yeah. It's also funny, like, everyone has a different word for God. So, like, the main character's, like, bodyguard essentially will go, like, ah, oh, by Lumen all the time. <laughs> and then uh, you go to another part of the galaxy and they all say by Ignis. Interesting. Which is hilarious because it's, like, for some reason, like, the Omega, like, seedy, like, planet, you know, a hive of scum and villainy is right by Ignis which is like the sun basically. Right. So they're in broad daylight doing crime, which is, I think it's like a fun way to set that up. Uh, they all go by Ignis's flame. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's awesome. I really like it. I'm interested to check it out. I feel like it's going to be a good primer for Starfield in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. I wonder if it will kind of ease you into sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. After all the well-mets of Baldur's Gate three. Right. Yeah. I just upgraded uh, from the series S to the series X, which is interesting. I actually haven't even played it yet because I have been out ever since I, I got the thing. Is it the Starfield themed one? It is not the Starfield themed Series X. Uh, I was thinking about getting the controller, though, but I was like, what if the game is bad? And then I have this controller. That's the thing. It's a little bit like it's it's kind of like those cyberpunk. Uh, I know that game has had a bit of a revival, but like the cyberpunk themed PS4s yeah. feel kind of <laughs> like that's really funny. And Ron caps at this point, <laughs> you know. Just a quick note on that upgrade. I feel like when we both got the Series S, my thought was always that I would eventually want to upgrade to a Series X. And I just didn't know like why or what game would really facilitate that or like make that feel worth it. And and Starfield just seemed like kind of the one. But the Series S is still amazing. And it's it's kind of a bummer because like a lot of developers are starting to speak out specifically about how the Series S is like preventing them from making the games that they want to make for the new generation. Yeah, that's why Baldur's Gate's not out on Xbox. Oh, they have to do both. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Yeah. To I make see. a game for the the new Xbox. It has to be available on both systems. And that's why Larian is like, we're not making Baldur's Gate 3 for Xbox because we can't get split screen to run on the Series S. Well, they're working on it. They will release it eventually, but it's taking longer than they wanted yeah. to. Uh, which, Originally, that September date was like release on all other platforms. Right. And now it's just PS5. Yeah, which is a little bit of a bummer. But I, I think like if you don't have one of the next generation consoles yet, you really could pick up a series S and like play most stuff and have a really good time with it. Like I, yeah, I think, I think that's the, for lack of a better phrase, the most bang for your buck basically. Yeah. Yeah. I, there hasn't been a, for me personally, and maybe other people feel differently, but there hasn't been a game that I've played on the series S and thought like, man, I really wish I had a series X to play this. No, the only thing, the only real downside is, is the memory, which you'll just get an external hard drive. Yeah. Right. Although you can make a case for like getting a big enough external hard drive might equate to the cost of just getting a series x that's what's weird they just also released the black version of the series s which comes with a terabyte hard drive that's like i think 50 dollars cheaper than the series x oh, which nice. also comes with a terabyte hard drive so like why not just spend the extra 50 you know the very specific thing is the no disk drive 
But you're right. It's, I've never felt like it underperformed graphically or anything. Right. The only thing I would want is a disk drive because there are a number of 360 games that are not available on the eStore. Mm-hmm. And that's like, even for me, do I justify getting a Series X just to for play like those Xbox four 360 games? games? Yeah. yeah, just to play <laughs> Jet Set Radio Future. So maybe one day. Truthfully, I kind of like how little and nice looking the Series S is. Yeah. I don't know if I have the like counter space for another big beefy boy. Yeah, there was a little like as as excited as I am about having the Series X, there was a little bit of like a this thing looks a little bit uglier than the Series S. <laughs> it's a little bit of a bummer. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I think I I kind of the the Series S is weirdly like where I usually play most indie games, although that's kind of getting bumped by the Steam Deck now. Mm. But it's also where I play a lot of retro stuff too, because like yeah. There's a fair amount of older games on the Xbox, so... Yeah, the backwards compatibility stuff is great, and the fact that they just, like, have the Xbox Live Arcade open still uh, with yeah. pretty much everything that's been available for a long time just means it has, like, yeah. probably the best online store of all three of the, like, major players right now, with the exception of, obviously, if you throw Steam in there, then Steam yeah. is, like, <laughs> always going to be the best. But uh, Microsoft, to their credit, has they've really... I've said this before, but they're the only one amongst the big three that have, like, made an effort to preserve their catalog yeah yeah like not even opportunistically yeah yeah they just have the smallest catalog yeah (laughs) (laughs) but the series x is cool i i will probably talk about it more when starfield comes out yeah let me know i think i think the if you pre-ordered it which i did instead of playing it on game pass because i'm a sicko uh (laughs) I, i think i get to play it on september 1st so whenever that next episode after the first is i'm excited i'm nervous i feel like uh we don't have to get too into this but i do think like the big elephant in the room is like it coming out after Baldur's Gate 3, which like I said before, like it's a different enough thing that I don't know if that will like really dampen its release. But I just I, I, I think the bigger thing for me is like the in the last year and a half, Tears of the Kingdom, Elden Ring and Baldur's Gate 3 came out, which is unfair to everyone else on Earth. <laughs> but I just think like all three of those games kind of if you consider them all open world games to an extent all three of them are really fresh steps in a new direction and i'm just curious what i want to see from starfield is bethesda figuring out what they do best now you know yeah. so i think that's the big question mark is like i know what i get out of skyrim and oblivion and you know there are other games um to a lesser extent those are the big two for me although morrowind <laughs> I'm, i'll play one day stop dming me um, but <laughs> I'm, I'm just, it, it feels like it's the moment of Bethesda that can be like, this is like our strength as a studio. Yeah. And I'm excited to see what that is. But I, I also worry it can feel like this might feel like a bit of a relic, you know, mm. and we'll see what happens. I, I'm not sure. I'm so, I, I, it's funny that we keep like almost closing these episodes out with just conversations about if we're excited about Starfield or not. <laughs> yeah. But I think for me, Well, first of all, it's just exciting because it's been, what, eight years since Fallout 4 came out, you know, which is like wild to think that it's been almost a decade since Bethesda made one of these things. And it like. Sure. Unless you count Fallout 76. I don't. (laughs) I think a lot of people. I think I mean, that's it's more like MMO adjacent. You know, it's like them like doing a different kind of game. But I do think it's I I do think that game really damaged their reputation so much. I agree. That like, you know, that that's even though I wouldn't count that as like a mainline Bethesda game. I do think that's the game that hangs in the air up until now. Yes. Yeah. Know? Yeah. They need to. Ba- um, well, they need to bounce back from that and fall 
Fallout 4, right? Because Fallout 4, I think, didn't connect with a lot of people for, some, you know, for various reasons. Yeah, to a lesser extent. I think Fallout 4, like, is a solid game and, like, it did well enough critically and commercially. Yeah. 76 was just, like, a disaster at launch, at least. Yes. Yeah. When you, you, ha- when you have to apologize for your video game. <laughs> <laughs> you goofed up. But I you know, as yeah. far as I know, people are playing that and connecting with it now and like all of the updates and stuff that they've added to it seem to have kind of turned some people's opinions around. But I think, you know, first impressions are the hardest to wipe away and that game didn't make a very good first impression. So a lot of people don't have a good impression of Bethesda at the moment. So I think there is that pressure on Starfield a little bit. Plus also everything that happened with Redfall and just like Xbox game studios in general, like there's just a lot of pressure in general on Starfield. But for me, when I'm thinking of Bethesda, what I'm thinking of is like single player open world RPGs. And the last one of those they made was Fallout 4, a game that I actually liked a lot. That's my favorite Fallout game, unfortunately for me and my taste. Uh, So feel free to unsubscribe from the podcast if you want. The ads we're going to (laughs) get. It's fine. (laughs) No, it's okay. Direct them at me. Don't include Steven. Um, There have been, this, this is a quick, I can't believe Steven said he didn't like Fallout New Vegas. I'm like, can, can I have said so many times I like New Vegas. Me. Leave me out of this. It's me. Yeah. I, I love my co-host Brendan, but that's not my take. I have some bad Don't takes. Don't I'll, I'll stand by them though. No, no. I think I totally understand where you're coming from. It's not for everybody. Point being, I'm, I'm in a place where like, I liked Fallout 4 yeah. and the last big Bethesda open world game is a game that I liked. I didn't enjoy Fallout 76. It seemed like them going in a new direction, whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm coming at this from like, I, I'm still on board with everything that Bethesda's doing. Like I, I personally, at least the way that my brain chemistry is made up, like I am not in a place where I feel like they need to redeem anything. I'm like, cool, I'm still on board and they're doing Star Trek and that's great. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, I think that's the thing for me, like even outside of all like the past X years, yeah. like I definitely was sold more from their event on it. But it's almost like I wish it was more Trek. Like, I just I don't know what the flavor of it is. It feels a little. It's more NASA than it is Star Trek. Yeah. And I don't love that, to be honest. Like, I I could be swayed when I'm actually playing the thing. And I think what really sold me is the ship customization, like the ability to like make a crew and stuff. (laughs) Like, that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I saw there's I I think that the most recent because, you know, we're we're gearing up for launch, which means that they're just like dropping weird little tidbits, kind of like Larian was doing with with Baldur's Gate, where like. Okay, here's the bear sex scene. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We have what is it, 145 hours of cutscenes, et cetera, et cetera, just like dropping all these little tidbits left and right. And I think the most recent Bethesda one is that they have 45, might be, might be 40, but I think it's 45 companions that you can have in the game that like can yeah. be part of your crew on your ship. I think for me, like not to dwell on Fallout 4, but I think Fallout 4 to me was a game that I really enjoyed playing, and I think in a lot of ways has the skeleton of like this should have been the best one mm. i think it like plays significantly better than the other two even if you're a big fallout fan i feel like that's noticeable yeah like it's less the the guns work you don't have to roll <laughs> dice and i think you know I, I agree with you that that game's design like they nailed the post-apocalyptic vibe but it was a little bit more visually interesting than just being like a coffee filter like they used color a little bit more interesting yeah and i think like the biggest thing for me about that game was i felt more than i had before and this is a, this is a critique against a lot of bethesda games and to be clear i i love a lot of bethesda stuff oblivion and skyrim especially but 
there is this sort of common critique for their games where the farther in you get, the emptier it starts to feel. Like the magic trick kind of wanes a bit. And I do share that. Like, I think for some games, it's more than others. I do think like every run of Skyrim, it's always going to feel the best in the first handful of hours. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. when you're kind of making a new character and going to Bleak Falls Barrow the first time. And you have nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And nothing really matches that. Like There is some cool end game stuff, but that's where maybe it starts to feel like you see a little bit more of the Matrix. Fallout 4 to me, that happened the fastest. Ah, I played that game for like 30-ish hours and I kept being like, that's not it though, right? Like, There's got to be way more than this. Mm. And I found that the game just kind of had a bit of an identity crisis where it felt like a little bit like a looter shooter. And that's where I think it played the best. Like I think it, they clearly like focused on that first. Yeah. But I think for a lot of Fallout fans, that's like not like that's like Baldur's Gate 4 focusing on hack and slash mechanics. Right. Like that's not what you want from the experience. You want that like huge width of role playing possibility and dialogue. And I remember like I, I actually went into Fallout 4 focusing on speech And I was really disappointed that every speech option was asking for more money. That was it. This is is why I brought up in our first conversation about Baldur's Gate 3, I was specifically talking about the ability to play as like a persuasion and charisma based character because of my experience trying to do that in Fallout 4 and not having a good time and then starting the game over, not focusing on that at all because I realized it wasn't important. Exactly. So I just found there was like the shoot and loot part of it. The role playing options felt very shallow. And then there was like the base building stuff. And then there was sort of like getting to know your companions. And then there was the main story and, and all that felt so separate. And some of it felt better than others, but it just didn't come together. And at the end of the day, it just felt very disjointed and it started to feel less immersive for me. And that's what I'm worried about with Starfield, where I really like all the individual elements they're showing, but I'm worrying it's going to feel like a Fallout 4 where like, you know, and and at the end of the day, it's not a terrible thing. I can choose the things I like and focus on those. That's kind of how these games are built. But I do think that there is a bit of more of a singularity in the Elder Scrolls games you know, and, and the more successful Fallout games were like, there is a variety of ways to play it, but they all feel like they're part of the same experience. Mm. And and that's kind of, I just, I want to know what the experience is in Starfield. So we'll find out when it comes out. I'm, I am still excited for it. And I would love to have my cautious pessimism be overturned. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of how I feel currently. Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in what the loop of that game is going to be because I, I remember one of their big first announcements was like there's gonna be a thousand planets you can go to and people were all up in arms like oh what a thousand empty planets i could go to fuck this game already you know and i'm like you can scan the planet before you go down there and if it says there's nothing you don't have to go down there you like it what's so funny about that reveal is like that actually to me showed a little bit of, of like, restraint yes because yes. <laughs> they could have done no man's sky they could have been like it's infinite right like even <laughs> even larian said uh, uh they're like Baldur's Gate 3 has 10,000 endings, which like is technically true given the amount of variables, but it's more like there are kind of three to five distinct like main endings. endings. Right. Yeah. And then depending on your choices, you'll get a variety of different moments. Right. Yeah. Did Asterian die? That counts as a different ending. Right. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, I think they kind of did a little bit facetiously, but still, you know, there is that like hyperbole in all these events. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I think Todd being like, there's, there's actually, only four digits uh <laughs> to me it was like okay they, they focused more on making sure that everything feels distinct yeah yeah so they were like oh there's a thousand planets but there's like four main cities in the galaxy great 
Yeah. That's cool to me. Exactly. It's like four cities. I love that. You know, that's very interesting. And they'll probably be very dense. I don't know. I'm excited about it. I, as far as I know, reviewers are already playing that game, which is exciting. Yeah. My guess, my hunch is that it's going to like review pretty well. I think it's going to be like a, a moderate success for them. That's that's like my gut feeling. I don't think it's going to be like a Baldur's Gate 3 hit, but I think it will like win back some people. Yeah. That's This is how I feel. I saw one person who I think was just breaking embargo and leaking a bunch of stuff about their playthrough. And I'm, I'm not going to reveal anything story wise just to be clear before I say this. So don't worry. But what they were saying was that the extra development time, because this game, I think, was originally slated to come out like last year or two years ago, uh, that the that the additional development time has really or is really shown specifically in the stability of the game. Like it's the I think what they said was it's the Bethesda game with the least amount of bugs at launch, which I think is <laughs> interesting because that's a conversation you and I have had a lot just about the idea of Bethesda making another game at all is this idea that like the kind of Bethesda jankiness is the thing that you and I actually kind of like at times. Like it brings comedy to a lot of their games or it like kind of brings a, a levity to a lot of their stuff. But I just think the narrative around those kinds of bugs has changed so dramatically in terms of discourse online that like if a Bethesda game comes out and is buggy and the dragon, you know, like implodes on itself and stuff like that's not a thing that people will laugh at as much anymore sure which is a little bit of a bummer in my opinion um i, I kind of like when the artifice breaks away i think that i think that makes games a little bit more fun every once in a while but i i can understand why they would want to spend a lot more time especially considering how much is riding on this game in particular being a huge success yeah i, I think it depends I, I think the the thing about a lot of the skyrim bugs i remember when that came out and they were like you know immediate sketches about how buggy skyrim was yeah. the giant just like slamming somebody with a club and they i I think there was a feeling of like a lot of these bugs that are the result of just how many unforeseen combinations there are. Mm-hmm. So it was almost a byproduct. This this is some serious Bethesda spin right here. So <laughs> I'm not getting paid for this. But I think a lot of them were the byproduct of like just the endless possibilities. So people weren't like happy with it and they did patch it a good amount. But like it did kind of also showcase how open the game was. Right. Yeah. You know, um, like I think uh, I watched I think it was the no clip bethesda documentary and it's a great documentary yeah yeah the it, the qa testers never thought people would put buckets over npcs heads right to prevent them from seeing you when you steal stuff yeah, yeah exactly so like stuff like that but i think you know bugs like when cyberpunk came out and was, was just unplayable on ps4 right that's i think very different yes and I think I think you're right that like there is sort of this like um, I think there's a I think there's a conflation of those two ideas. I honestly think it's just because games have gotten more expensive and, you know, bigger. And I think yeah. on some level, I do understand someone being like, hey, I paid seventy dollars for this on the five hundred dollar box. And if it's not going to work, I'm going to be kind of pissed about that. Right. But I also do think there is like a sense of ownership and entitlement that can be toxic, too. Right. Um, so it's there's nuance there, obviously. Nuance, baby. That's why there's podcasts. <laughs> we can talk for as long as we want about nuance. And that's why I love Morrowind. <laughs> no um, bugs. No bugs. No bugs just weird bugs. Yeah, just just weird like bugs the, that you get to fight. Like weird bug horses. <laughs> that was a fun little segment by accident. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, should I talk Todd. about one last game real quick? One last game. Let's let's take a deep breath though. Let's let's okay. let out all the Morrowind spores we inhaled by accident. <sighs> oh! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Todd. Thanks, Todd. Todd, where's our review copy of Starfield? I didn't ask for one, to be clear. Todd doesn't yeah. know me anything. He doesn't owe me anything. Todd doesn't know who I am. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Todd doesn't even know I exist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Uh, so I want to give a shout out to uh, one of the best people on the internet, uh, Wario64, who posts just game deals all the time Yeah, on Twitter and threads. And I think Blue Sky also, um, who posted about this game that I had never heard of, which is like, hey, this game Trinity Trigger is like 40% off right now. I was like, cool. Never heard of it. The art looked very pretty. It reminded me a lot of like the Harvestella artwork like mm, the, the concept yeah. art for, for harvestella i was like i'm kind of on board with that i clicked through to the eShop listing on the nintendo switch and i saw it was by uh, marvelous and xseed games who are uh, famously the publishers of rune factory a, a series that you and i like a lot yeah and uh, sakuna of rice and ruin as yes. well and it's developed by a, a company called three rings who uh, did a lot of like ip focus games they made like a one piece game for the PSP. And I think they did like a Naruto game for the Xbox or something. But they've also been uh, the, the developer that's working on the remakes and re-releases of Rune Factory for the Switch. So that the three and four remakes that came out, the Rune Factory special editions. Oh, cool. But this is the first time they've like made a game straight up, like just their own IP, their own everything. I love that. So I downloaded the game just based on that. I was like, that's interesting. That's interesting to me. I downloaded the game, started playing it. I was like, this is really interesting and i'll get into what it is in a minute but i was like this is really interesting and i like went back to the wikipedia page i started reading more of it and i was just like blown away over and over again by some of this stuff so first of all it's inspired by secret of mana which is why i i was alluding to this during the bomb rush cyberpunk uh stuff mm. um it's inspired by secret of mana it's by a lot of the secret of mana developers also it has a strong focus on local multiplayer which i didn't even realize because i've been playing it solo in handheld mode a lot of key staff from the mana series but also from chrono cross and they specifically have the original character designer who did the designs of all the pokemon to do the creature design in this game you sound like you're fucking with me i feel like it's like <laughs> Someone was like, do you want to kick Steven's ass? Just like write all this on a note and leave it in the alley and he'll show up. Yes, uh, it is wild. It is wild how much pedigree there is behind this game. I will. I'll get the I'll get the most negative thing out of the way. It's just fine. It's like okay. the, the game is like just OK. It is like a very pretty cut and dry like RPG experience, like ARPG experience. Yeah. Um, there's not there's not a whole lot, I think, to really talk about in terms of like what's going on, like narratively or like with character work. That's going to be too surprising. Like you you wake up as a protagonist who has a weird like glyph in his eye that he doesn't understand because his parents died and they didn't tell him before they died. So he needs to like study what the glyph is in his eye. He finds like a Pokemon S companion who has amnesia and doesn't remember who they are or anything about themselves, but they have like the power of fire and they turn into a sword sometimes, which you use in combat. This is not unlike Baldur's Gate three, you know, it's kind of like how I met Astarian. Yeah. Anyway, and you make your way through this like kind of top down ARPG world. You know, you go you go through like dungeons and hack and slash and whatever. There's like a dodge button. Uh, you get to like customize the different attacks that you can do because you have like a three hit combo and you can change what each of those three attacks are. Uh, you can change the elements of those attacks. You can like change what weapon you have. Like a lot of the game is about taking your like little Pokemon companion and turning them into a bow instead of a sword or like other kinds of weapons. That's awesome. 
the overarching story is about this like endless war that's happening between the god of chaos and the god of order. I think the the most interesting thing this game has going on for it actually is not leaning into the idea that the god of chaos is specifically bad and the god of order is specifically good. I think it there's a lot more nuance there. Like even in the original discussion about that that two characters have when they're first like explaining all the lore of the game, they're like chaos means like violence and anger, obviously, but it also means creativity and art and like all of this other yeah. you know all of this incredible stuff um and that's that's why the war is ongoing etc that's actually et very uh shimigami tensei explores that a yes. lot where i actually i find that usually order is worse yeah because it's like angel cops basically yeah i'll be i'll be curious to see if they specifically make order problematic in this game yeah. as you get further in because i i'm i'm this is not really a spoiler because it's all table stakes honestly i think for like this kind of game but like pretty early on you find out that the glyph in your eye is like the glyph of chaos so you're mm. like, OK, I guess I'm like chaos aligned in some way. What I'll say about this game, though, is that I love the art. I think the voice acting is great. This game came out, I think, two years ago in Japan and got localized recently by Marvelous and Exceed uh, for for the rest of the world. And they in that localization process brought in some voice actors and voice acted the whole game in English. The voice acting is awesome. The The one caveat on that is that every time one of your characters attacks, they like yell something and you can't turn that off. And it drives me up. the That's wall. like a uh, very tales. Yes, very tales. Uh, it's yeah. very tales. Uh, in some ways worse than tales because uh, <laughs> you have to specifically choose, like I said, the three attacks in your three hit combo. And each of those three attacks have different voice barks for each one. Oh man, that's a lot. Yeah. And I went in and specifically changed the, the attacks on my main character because I hated the voice barks for those attacks. <laughs> like not based on anything, <laughs> not based on stats, not based on how they move. I was just like, I just can't hear him go. Yeah. Like over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it was driving me nuts. Anyway, what I will say, I, I just think everything about this game is like one step above average, though. Like that's that's kind of the thing. That's why I wanted to bring this game up. I think like partially just having this team that made the mono games being like, we want to keep making mono games because I mean, the most recent thing we've seen in terms of Square's acknowledgement of that franchise is they did the collection of mana recently yeah. for all platforms, which is just like a nice re-release of all those games. But specifically saying like, we want to make like a spiritual follow up to those games. We want to like create our own IP. I thought that was like exciting because everything that Marvelous and XC does, I think I'm a little bit interested in. I, yeah. I like their work on Rune Factory. And as you and I said, after playing Rune Factory 5, I feel like they're kind of primed to make something really special soon. Like, I feel like they're just kind of working their way up this ladder of like kind of getting a little bit more ambitious with each game they seem to be making. And I, I, I'm really interested in that. So this game like really stuck out to me as like a potential cool thing that they're working on. The game it reminds me most of is Lost Sphere, which was a Tokyo RPG factory <laughs> game I talked about a lot when I it's had back. COVID and was stuck in France. And as much as I like that game for a lot of different reasons, I have to acknowledge like the story is not very good and I don't think it's like super compelling and people didn't connect with it. And like I, I was giving it a very generous read, I think. Trinity Trigger, on the other hand, I do think has a lot going for it. Like there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in terms of the way they're starting to uh, expand the combat. I love the fact that it's local multiplayer only. Like there's no online multiplayer. Like so it is a couch co-op game where you could play with somebody on the couch throughout the entire experience because over the course of the game you get a bunch of different characters that join your party who all have different little pokemon companions who all have different elements assigned to them so like everyone kind of has their own uh, strengths and weaknesses in terms of like how they can help or hurt you but anyone can hop in and play as those other characters which i think is really nice so if you're looking for like a local multiplayer arpg that's like i think like 20 or 30 hours long like 
this is the game for you and it runs great on Switch. I, I just have been having like a really pleasant time with it. I, I keep I, I think the best thing I can say about pretty much any game on my Switch is when I turn the Switch on and I have a bunch of different options, like right now, the games on my Switch on the front screen are Bomber, Cyberfunk, Little Gamer, Game Trinity, Trigger and Final Fantasy VI Pixel Remaster. And like the one I'm playing the most is Trinity Trigger. Like before I go to sleep, I'm opening up Trinity Trigger. I'm like, yeah, well, I'll do a dungeon. I'll like you know, progress the story by like 30 minutes yeah, uh, and, and see how that goes. I love like all the town dialogue with all the NPCs. Like they just kind of drop little bits of lore here and there that are like legitimately interesting every once in a while. I think sometimes it's a little bit like order versus chaos God stuff, but every once in a while they'll like drop something that I think is like legitimately interesting. There's like this whole uh, almost like kingdom hearts aspect of uh, whenever you take down enemies, if you take them down in a specific way, they'll drop certain items that you can use to craft into new stuff. Um, so there's like a bunch of like learning crafting recipes. So you don't have to rely on on stores to like buy potions you can just start making them once you can like fast travel between spaces where you know you can get the ingredients for it i just think it's like a really compelling loop i think it's a good game it's a little bit hard to talk about because so much of it does feel like exactly hitting sure. like the like average middle of the venn diagram between like every arpg and jrpg you've ever played but for the most part i think trinity trigger is like a really successful first outing for this company making their first yeah IP. it's weird to say it sounds like a good proof of concept because it seems like this is the kind of game this team has been making for a while yeah that being said though like <laughs> secret of mana weirdly is connected to jet set radio where it's like secret of mana maybe has the best box art of all time <laughs> yes and the game is like very okay like yeah. <laughs> the box art implies that it's like an all timer and then you play and you're like, oh, this is like kind of halfway there, you know, yeah, they got like, a really famous illustrator to do a bunch of concept art for that game. I, I do have that collection on Switch. What's interesting, too, is that before it became Mana, it was like the legend of Final Fantasy or something like that. Yes. Or Final Fantasy Legends. And yes. that was like that felt like a fork in the road for Final Fantasy where it was like Final Fantasy one again refined. Right. The game that I kept thinking of while you were talking about this was actually Summon Night. Do you remember that for the Game yeah. Boy Advance? That was another game, too, where like I loved the world and I loved the like sense of being there. And, and the game was also just like pretty good. Like nothing was like extraordinary but somehow everything came together and i was this is this is great like yeah sometimes things can just add up to be greater than the sum of their parts like everything exactly. can be average but being average at everything kind of makes you better than a lot of other things <laughs> that's my resume says so you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> this sounds fun though I, i'll check it out maybe we could play it together local only when I'm over for the holidays, Great. get it ready. I'm excited. I'm about that. back for some Trinity. Yeah, it's a it's a little bit like um and, and I'm only thinking about this because this is a game I'm also playing. It was like one of the first things I downloaded on my Google Pixel Fold. Uh because oh. I have that like un, I have that inside screen I can open up. I, I downloaded and I'm playing the first voice of cards game. Oh nice. And I'm like, I'm gonna finish this. I'm like actually gonna finish it. And that's another game that like it does everything like pretty well, you know? Yeah. But because it's got like an interesting aesthetic, great music, like the interesting kind of narration going on, a little bit of like an off kilter vibe in terms of like your protagonist kind of being a piece of shit. I just think that that game also kind of takes all of those components and is greater than some of its parts. And, and Trinity Trigger is like a nice companion to that where like where Voice of Cards is trying to be a little bit, I would say, like jaded about the idea of being an RPG. Trinity Trigger is like very much all in loves it. You know, yeah. loves being sometimes this. that confidence is enough. Like, I think yeah. like it's hard to really detect because games are such a collaborative effort. And like there is something that kind of transcends where if people enjoyed working on it or if there's like passion behind it that will come through in some capacity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it very much does here. My one my one critique <gasps> is the song that plays when you're in your house. 
I think is unbearable. A <laughs> hundred and one pounds of fun. <laughs> That's my Trinity trigger song. <laughs> but besides that, I, it's a really fun game. And it's one, I don't know if I'm going to be like a champion for Trinity trigger, like winning game of the year, 2023. Um, but I am enjoying it enough to like play a lot more of it. I think whenever you do a medium attack, it, it goes shapoopy. And uh, that really is just the deal breaker for me. Shapoopy, shapoopy, shapoopy. Blade of Shapoopy. Blade of Shapoopy. <laughs> nice try. Nice try. This should help. Shapoopy. The girl who loves to slash. <laughs> <laughs> the girl who loves chaos. Shapoopy. Shapoopy. Okay. Uh, is that a sign to maybe wrap up? I think it maybe is. Yeah. I think, I think we should stop. Okay. I'm all shapoopied out. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked the show, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. We are back. Honestly, like... I find that whenever we follow up a game of the year or like a big season premiere, that's like a pretty big period of growth for us. So if you do like the show, please recommend it to a friend that always helps us. We're basically all through word of mouth. Don't tell them what I said about fallout though. (laughs) Keep that to yourself. They need to discover that. Look, we all have to have, (laughs) we all have our bad take, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I wouldn't even say it's a bad take, but if we all conformed, there would be no room for discussion. I can back it up. That's yeah. the thing. If we yeah. did a whole segment about Fallout 4, I could tell you why that's my favorite one, but save that for another day. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so Into the Cast at Online is our hub for everything, all our social media pages and such. It's also where you can find links to our Patreon. If you really like the show, you can back us there. Uh, we have a mini show called Any Percent, where every week we give ourselves 10 minutes to address a topic or question from listeners like you. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and we'll also release just like patron exclusive episodes every so often uh, that are usually either like companion pieces to bonuses or like just things that are maybe a little bit outside the scope of the usual show. I will say coming soon uh, to the Patreon, maybe out already, but I think coming soon is going to be a conversation between our friend Adam Volerich and myself about the Gran Turismo movie. I cannot wait to listen which to Which we that. went to go see an early screening of, and it was very interesting. <laughs> it was very interesting. <laughs> Can't wait to talk about it. I can't wait to listen. Um, And yeah, that's it. Anything else we want to talk about? Shovel Knight. (laughs) What? (laughs) That reminds me of when I was with my family and I just out of nowhere went fennel. And my sister was like, ew, I I, I just bought fennel at the grocery store. Why'd you say that? (laughs) Shovel Knight. It was in the air. All right. Good night. Have a great day. Have a good afternoon. You are about to say something. No, I was going to say see you later. See you later. Shapoopy. Fennel. Fennel. Garbage. Not online.